0: Hey y'all, welcome back to the Decolonized Christian Podcast, where we dismantle harmful theology and reimagine the Christian witness together. In this week's episode, Greg and I want to lean into a conversation that we almost had a few days ago, but we paused because we wanted to record it for you live today. And what we're going to look at is the intersection between our pandemic, Christian supremacy, and the school experience thus far. And I want to make a note before we jump in, Greg. I know that Christianity isn't the only institution that has influenced how we've handled the pandemic, how schools are operating. Um, However, I think it's really healthy that we, we take a look at how our Christian practice may be causing harm or creating roadblocks to human flourishing. So throughout this conversation, I kind of use the the Wesleyan practice of do no harm to really look at how these things intersect and how Christian theology uh, plays a major role in how, how uh, we're experiencing this time together. And so I'm excited to have this conversation. As I've already said, we're on the phone, what was that, Thursday or Wednesday? Yeah, or Wednesday Thursday. Thursday? something like that. And uh, we paused the conversation because we're like, ooh, this is good. This This is an episode-worthy conversation. And so we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. This episode is called The Pandemic of Christian Supremacy in Schools. So what is Christian supremacy and why are we talking about it? Why does it matter? Greg, if you were to give me um, your definition of Christian supremacy Right now, what would it be?
1: Um, my definition of Christian, of Christian supremacy it would be the notion that Christianity is better or superior than all other faith systems or beliefs. Um, and that is that belief is held, by many Christians for different reasons. Um, many would point to. Biblical passages to justify that belief. Um, but it's the the it really what it is, it's the the lessening of and the degrading of other faith systems and other spiritualities that people possess and that people find mm-hmm. wholeness in and healing in. And it's just not Christianity. But but yet the belief is maintained that Christianity is supreme. And I've actually, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had people, Christians, of course, will blatantly tell me, yeah, you know,
0: it is. I'm like, okay. (laughs) I plant my flag here. You (laughs) better believe it is. It's supreme. If God is supreme and Jesus is supreme, if my God and my Jesus are supreme, then that's that's what it is. But one thing I
1: always ask people and like no one ever really responds to me is that who has a monopoly on God?
0: Oh, you know, yes. Lord.
1: No one ever No one <laughs> ever answers that question like literally. Like,
2: yeah, And if they do yeah. if
1: they do, it's a roundabout way of confirming what I'm saying, but they don't ever mm-hmm. explicitly confirm what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think specifically for people who are dismantling white supremacy um, within their Christian faith. Um, when somebody says christian supremacy it's it 's almost triggering right to be like, "Well, how is my faith perspective um, oppressive to people i 'm decolonizing what do you mean i 'm not doing any harm i 'm trying to fight for justice and for good um and that was kind of my gut reaction. It was a gut punch for me to say, you know, I have, I have a couple of degrees in like Christian education, Christian theology, right? And like practical theology. And I really had to take a step back and say man, what areas in my life am I demonstrating Christian supremacy um, both overtly and covertly, right? And so I don't have a beautiful definition like you just gave, Greg, but I think of I wrote this down. I think it's the belief that Christian values and perspectives are the final authority for creation. And it's that last part that always gets me, um, for creation. Like God's creation, I have the final authority to interpret and to uh, espouse who God is, what God's doing in the world. Essentially, my perspective on God is the correct one. Therefore, everybody else should fall in line. And it's this supreme truth can be found in Christian tradition. And that becomes a slippery slope, right? Because when we talk about Christian tradition, that forces us to look at church history, both the good, the bad, and the ugly.
1: Yeah it forces us to look at church history and it also forces us to sit with, um, the question of, well, which iteration of Christianity is the one true correct? Because there's so many different, um, iterations and manifestations of Christianity that have occurred down through time. So I'm like, which, which one is it?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Christianity is trying to figure out who God is like <laughs> it's like you can't claim supremacy over something that you're trying to figure out right so I know that may be a shock to some of y'all, but keep using uh, the language of Christian supremacy to see uh, what happens in your circles of influence um, as as you challenge people to to decolonize their faith and so now that we've discuss like what, what it is and why it matters. What are some practical impacts from this perspective that you've seen?
3: Well, I think in policy, um, like mm. if, 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 the, if the notion is that this
1: is a Christian society or a Christian nation, which people always say that it isn't, but it really is. And that's something that I have had to kind of sit with because when you think about it, on the from the outside looking in and you see all the crap that's going on, it's not a Christian nation. But because of the fact that so much of what is secular, what has been made secular, mm-hmm. much of it is Christian. And that permeates uh, American society, America in particular, because I'm sure we're talking about America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Western Christianity. Yeah, Western Christianity. That is like, that is the end all be all. And so I think policy is a big area where you see Christian supremacy um, playing its flag and making, staking its claim. Um, In particular, Mm -hmm. as it relates to not just issues within education, but like issues that affect certain people groups. Like the past few weeks has been abortion. It's like, that's reemerged, mm-hmm. you know? So, yep. and honest, no, I'm not gonna get into that. But like, <laughs> 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 I'm, not, I'm not even gonna do it. But, but no, it's like policy. Policy is a big one. Like That's the first thing that comes to mind, especially as an educator, because I think about policy all the time and how Mm -hmm. um, policy affects
3: teachers in schools.
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah, because I was thinking about how, I, I like what you said about us not being a Christian nation, but we are a Christian nation. And that made me think of form and function. So in our form, we may not, We are not a Christian nation, right, because there is separation of church and state, right, in its form. But in its function, we definitely function like a, quote, Christian society to where the Christian values that are espoused and held become the normative behaviors for all people. Right.
1: And then they're made to appear secular, which is why people
3: accept them who are not even Christian.
0: Ooh, this is, oh, this is getting deep because what happens in Christian supremacy, it makes everyone homogenous, right? Yeah, it doesn't honor, definitely. absolutely. It, it doesn't honor folks' lived experiences. Um, and when it comes to diversity and inclusion in these spaces, it becomes about unity without accountability. And it becomes about colonizing people's way of thinking to say, if you don't look like us or speak like us then you know it's cast out as other as different um there's, there's tons of examples i'm thinking of but not to get too deep but just like you know black people how they worship god it looks it's different and people get so upset when you talk about the our ancestors and like
3: it's so funny tra- if- like re- <laughs> like
0: remembering them i'm i'm not going to say praising them but honoring them yeah. in a way that looks like praise even though christianism like you do it with saints all the time like what you it's a whole fool to me um and so that's just one example
1: it's um i watched a video this morning that was comparing and contrasting the differences between what happens in african ceremonies versus what happens in christian churches in black christian spaces in particular and um Hmm. It's like so much of this stuff is the same. It's really, it really is the same. Yeah. And like, again, no one can explain how it's the same or why it's the same, but it is the same. And, but it, but we keep like ignoring the fact that so much of what we believe as Christians
3: is not necessarily, and I'm talking about this is people, it's not necessarily original Christianity. Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. So, but yep. so, but, but the so, it, and to me, the continuance of staking supremacy is even more illogical and erroneous. Because yeah, how can sure. something that's not original be supreme? It doesn't make any sense. Right, like
0: Jesus was a Jewish person. Jesus was Jewish. No. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was Jewish. And and Christians kind of hating on Jews and <laughs> <Yes. laughs> like. An- Anti-Jewish language, yeah, there, like, but that this is your savior, like so you can't claim supremacy over something that was never yours, right? And culturally and so, yours, right?
1: And so that that is why you know there are claims of anti-Semitism within Christianity because of, because of that very reason,
3: especially once you start looking at the Gospel of John in particular and how. If, and you read that, we read the Gospel of John, it's, it's, it appears
1: that the Jews are the reason why Jesus mm-hmm. is crucified. And there are all different types of theological excavations as to why Jesus is crucified. But if you read the Gospel of John, that's the narrative that's kind of being
3: pushed. So then we get anti Semitism. And it's like, what?
0: Yep. Yep. Mm hmm. You're exactly right. So let's go ahead and, and shift a, a little bit because I feel like we can talk about supremacy and, and the Christian faith for a while now. But but let's kind of put it in context of what we're all experiencing um, in in this pandemic. Um, so the pandemic and Christian perspective. Uh, you know I really think about this idea of citizenship. And what it means, um, and as a citizen of the United States of America, I am, you know, endowed rights by my Creator, and I'm, i I'm beginning to think about how the Christian faith, like you know, the universal Christian faith um, here in America, has influenced the response to the pandemic. You know, there, there was a, a report out that said the most reluctant people to get vaccinated or wear a mask are right-wing Christians and claiming that it's their right not to abide by what the government has handed down because of quote religious freedom right and i just think it's so interesting um how freedom isn't necessarily liberation and by that i mean if your freedom causes oppression for others and for others to suffer then it's not liberation you're just being selfish and i can't get this thought out of my my mind um that you know to to be a citizen means that i have the privilege of exercising power you know when it benefits my agenda like i really can't get that out of my mind where i i i wield my rights as a way to maintain power and to advance my own agenda and so just just thinking about how this idea of christian supremacy is pervading the pandemic response you know there's there's been churches across our country you know even <laughs> pastors being like Oh well, God is the alpha and the omega, and we're not worried about delta. I'm like, well, no, science is is real, and God is real, and like people are dying, um, and so there there seems to be a vast majority of of responses by Christians, you know, on both sides, like good and bad, um, and some that are just like you're not really saying anything. Um, so I just wanted to throw it to you, what what have you seen throughout this pandemic when it comes to Christian practices um, responding to the ways in which we're all experiencing the world right now.
3: Um, like you said, the notion of liberty. Um, the notion of is that what you're asking?
1: Like, what?
0: yeah, like how how have you seen the the Christian faith be be wielded in this time? Yeah.
1: Um. I remember earlier in the pandemic, so I do, you know, I do shipped shopping on the side and mm-hmm. during Not a sponsor. Right. And so <laughs> during the height of the pandemic in a year ago,
3: a year and a half ago now, um, you know, people were saying faith over fear. Mm. And yeah. it's like, well, what do you mean? Faith over fear. And like, I
1: remember... I remember vividly, I took a Facebook break because I felt like it was just a lot happening at one time. And then I came back and I was like, okay, people, the blood of Jesus is not going to keep you from getting COVID. You remember? You remember?
2: Right. Like when I, I posted
1: that. Yes. Because yep. like people, and I I would hear people say, because these these are common phrases, I'm covered by the blood. Faith over fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I know people who, are Christians, because Christians are covered by the blood of Jesus. So I know Christians that are covered by the blood and still got COVID and died. And I'm sure they probably weren't as boisterous as the ones who run around claiming I'm covered by the blood, but they still got it and they died. I know people personally, which is very unfortunate, of course.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think that that was a message that, that we did not need at that time. And we still don't need it. Because it makes it seem as if the two can't coexist. Like, but in reality, that's what tends to happen. Like, yeah. science is valid up until a certain point where it contradicts something, I believe.
3: And then, mm. yeah. now, uh, it's sketchy. Now. All of a sudden, it becomes sketch. Um, yeah. And so just
1: really trying to break down that whole idea of not trusting science. Um, and I do you understand the hesitancy with vaccination. But unfortunately, yeah, at this point, that is our only effective weapon against this virus to avoid possible mutations. Um, and so, like... Even seeing, like, videos of pastors, like, shaming people for wearing masks. Mm
2: -mm. And it's
1: just, like, it's so ridiculous. Like, it's so, so ridiculous that you would use your platform as a pastor to take the time to shame people who have made a decision for their health, a personal choice. It's all about liberty, right? Uh, They've made a personal choice for their own health and the health of people around them in their communities, in their own households even. And you decide to bash them for that. So, like, unfortunately, I think Christians have not had the best witness during this mm-hmm. pandemic for those very reasons.
0: 100%. And when you were talking about pastors, some pastors, we're not going to say all pastors, right? We know that. Um, but some prominent pastors, you know, like like you said, shaming people and I love what you said about science is valid up until it is in conflict with my beliefs. Um, and I was thinking of the you know the saying like I'm going to do my own research and thinking about like where does that come from. And then I remembered as as you were speaking, pastors in the pulpit saying, "Well, if you don't believe what I'm saying, like go read it for yourself." And what that results in is people reading scripture without context, a witness. Education. Yeah, the spirit may be with you, but the spirit works in community. So like all these different layers, I I was like they they were running through my mind of how in the world do we educate people who uh or or when faith your faith says something different and are you willing to pivot when you know better? I think when when you know better, you do better. Yeah,
1: I think the next pandemic is like Child, (laughs) not taking verses out of context and using to justify all types of things and beliefs, but um, but unfortunately, you know, that happens, and this is I I think it goes back to this notion of Christian supremacy, because, Mm -hmm. like for example, a common verse that a common passage that people love to point to in times of crisis. Is 2nd Chronicles chapter 7. Well, you know, we know it. if my people, that whole whole thing, who are called by my name, would humble themselves, seek my face and pray. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Okay, guess what? That's not about America, right?
0: (laughs) Spoiler. It's not about
1: America. It's not about America. And so, like, this is
3: the, I think even that, I think even that has given has made Christians look bad during this time
1: of trying to make it through a pandemic, and then just not understanding verses in their proper context, but that's that's not something yeah. that's brand new just because we got in the pandemic. that's been yeah. happening forever, right? Um but I think yeah. in the light of this of the pandemic and how we didn't know what to do. I felt like that was something that was definitely not the
3: best thing to do at that time.
0: Right. Right. Um, I was, I was sitting with the pastor a few years ago and she said something that has just stuck with me and I'm like, Oh, that's really good. She was like, Christians don't need to take the lead on everything in our culture. And I really had to sit with that and say, you know, I was practicing christian supremacy because if the church can't fix it it's damned to go to hell and by her saying that i was like man that's really good like we don't need to be the ones out front constantly making our voices heard and being the voice box but we are called to speak life into people right so by her saying that it was this moment of I don't have to respond to everything that happens in our culture because one, as soon as you do that, right, your your Christian faith, um, you, it, it's like a game of tennis, right? It gets bounced back and forth depending on what the issue is. And the same scripture I used over here for this thing that happened in the world, I'm going to use it for this thing, but they they really don't correlate. So now I'm just saying you know scripture says this and this is what it means for this time in our country and it's like that that's not accurate like heal this land like you said that was not a prophecy for a prayer for america it, it just wasn't and so i i think about her voice in my head saying you don't like the church doesn't need to lead every initiative um and and i found it humbling and quite liberating um but i was thinking about how People again just say, you know, my rights, my rights. And they're so caught up on, and, and as an American citizen, I have the autonomy to operate how I want to operate. And I was thinking about your favorite person in the Bible, Greg Paul. I was thinking about Pauline's it's not my favorite and-
1: person in the Bible. <laughs>
0: I know that, and that's why I said that, because we can do a lot of episodes on Pauline theology. But I was thinking about Paul, what he was writing to the church in Corinth um, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, talking about laying down his rights, um, and he says, you know, we have not made use of these rights, you know, him as a, as an apostle and receiving all of these benefits that come with being an apostle, right, like, Honor the respect that the access to things. He says we have not made use of this right, but we endure any, anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And so, when I read that, I'm thinking, okay. So Paul is saying he's laying down his rights so that he is not in the way of the gospel. So the gospel can go forth without him being a stumbling block to somebody else. Because if he gets access and takes advantage of what he has access to, that could end up hurting his own Christian witness. And thinking about people who say, well, my rights, my rights. I'm like, well, if anything, if you are following Jesus and Pauline theology, you would say, I actually need to lay down my right. Yes, I have access and the autonomy and the power to claim religious freedom when not getting the vaccine or wearing a mask or whatever. Um, But actually the Christian thing to do according to their own framework, right. uh, Is to not be a stumbling block and to lay down those rights. And so when I was reading that, I was like, man, how many times are we a roadblock to somebody else's liberation? Mm. Right. For the sake of what I want. And if I engage in, in this benefit, am I intentionally or unintentionally impeding some somebody else's wholeness, or as I like to say, human flourishing? So I think a lot of this response from Christians in this pandemic, um, directly correlating to Christian supremacy, we've become roadblocks, right? We've demonstrated that the Christian witness is not super strong, um, that Christ will protect us from coronavirus, and then all of a sudden, somebody catches the coronavirus, and they're transitioned to be with God, and we're just like, oh, wait a minute, I set God up to be this almighty, powerful being, and now people are dying, and the world is looking at it and like, are you serious, Christians? Will you just stop being assholes and help heal people? Um, I've I've been so frustrated. <laughs> really since the this pandemic has started and very disappointed in the christian witness and how it how we have responded to life and death right if there's any type of framework that can give healing and hope and restoration in life and death right christianity's uniquely positioned to talk about that and i'm just like y'all are missing the mark like we are missing the mark and i i lump myself in there greg because i realize um, if I constantly criticize and try to distance myself, I'm not doing the work in myself. And so it's saying like, yeah, you, you are my sibling in Christ. Um, we're on the same God, we worship the same people. You're going to be real surprised when, when we're together in heaven, if we make it there. Um, and so I lump myself in there to remind myself like, man, we got work to do yeah. and we need to wake up and we need to grow up. And it's about people's restoration and wholeness and not about some belief that you have to, I don't know. I, I don't really know what the point of that belief is. Um, I, I honestly think um, the short-sightedness of this belief is like, if it doesn't affect me, then I, I can care less. I, I give zero Fs as long as I can sit in my church, in my PU with my mask off and, and worship my God.
1: Yeah. Which of course, as you just said, is the opposite
3: of what we believe as Christians is—it's a selfish idea, is what it is. Yeah, and it, it essentially, it's
1: yeah. just a selfish idea. And so, yeah. you know, I don't—I don't think
3: I, my my hope for us emerging from
1: this this pandemic um, it has it has dwindled somewhat and not that it will never be at a place but not the, the idea of being there as soon as we could be there because yeah, yeah. of so much stuff that exists in our so many systems, systems of oppression that exists in our
3: nation and our world like i just i'm i just don't know
0: yeah i i feel like i'm this is like mock Israel, and like we like we we know what to do. Like God has told us what is good. <laughs> and Like we just keep messing it up. It is like yo, we could have been to the Promised Land. We could have been out of this, but y'all want to play around, and so now this is where we're and I at. Think, and this is how far we. I have think to that go. that
1: is that's probably one of the main reasons that narrative is in the Bible
3: to show people how. Their own foolishness is what hinders them yeah.
1: from moving to the next step, to the next goal, to the next level. Like,
0: Lord Jesus. Yeah. Lord Jesus, as uh, my, my friend Dwight, shout out to Dwight. If, if you're listening to this, he put on Facebook the other day because, you know, I'm, I'm on the blue app sometimes, Greg. He posed the question, what happens when you realize that you're the villain in your own story? And that that's exactly what you were talking God, about. You are your own barrier to liberation. Ooh, ooh, child. <laughs> but you think you have it right. Right. <laughs> but you don't. Right. <laughs> it's like your your decisions have landed you in this place. Let's take a look at why. Yes. Ooh, child. <laughs> so shout out to Dwight. We need we need to have, have need on Dwight the on the podcast, show. my brother. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, now let's pivot because uh, I feel like I'm rambling because I'm a little upset uh, about how Christians have handled the pandemic. But let's shift into something that is very personal to us as we serve on the front lines um, with with the public. So I would say we are front facing. We're, we're engaging in front facing ministry, right? And so let's talk about the the school experience thus far. So we we we've started our time. Talking about Christian supremacy, and then we talked about this pandemic and how theology has played a role and how people are responding to and acting in this pandemic. Now, when it comes to the school experience, I definitely think there is a link here. Um, Greg, Greg, and I both serve in Tennessee, and you know we're like a hot spot right now, and so I guess we're number one in something. So yay, go Tennessee! Um, but what we've seen over the last couple months is students and teachers being pushed back into classrooms for the sake of policy Um, policy that is in direct correlation with Christian supremacy and just this idea of like, my rights matter and i don't have to mask you know and if i keep just my community safe then that's enough so let's talk about um our experiences um with students um uh, greg serves in in the school setting and i serve in the out of time uh setting running an after school program and so greg i would just love to hear your experience in the school system um, as, you know, kids are back in the classroom and, and things are happening in the building? Um,
3: so we went back to school in March. And um, at that time, parents had the option to keep kids at home. But
1: mm-hmm. when, so we had very, we had very few kids in the building. But at the top of the new school year, virtual was no longer an option for most schools. Um, the district I serve in does have virtual, a virtual school. And also there are other virtual schools outside of the district, um, but most kids are back in the buildings. And so mm-hmm. it's been a challenge for obvious reasons, especially with children. Number one, mm-hmm. Um, the age group that I, I that I serve is K five, so none of those children can be vaccinated, and it's like I find myself at work being frustrated, but then I'm like, "This really isn't y'all's fault. Like we shouldn't be here in the first place, because you know, because we are here, we got to try to do the best we can to keep them safe." And so, you know, I just find. Sometimes as far as social distancing, like it's not taken seriously. People are just kind of like business as usual. Um,
3: And I'm like, how and why? Like when we've had cases um, in our
1: our district, we've had people to die. We've had teachers to die. We've had, um, Mm. there was a student that died, a high school student. And, yeah, Lord. you know, it's just, I, I, I always ask, like, or I always say, people shouldn't have to die because of this. Like, there's no reason. If we, if we stop pretending that COVID waits until the bell rings,
3: like, mm-hmm. there's, there's no reason. Like, there's just there's no reason. Um, and, like, there are people, my coworkers, Some of them are older, you know? So this is, I mean, and some of them
1: are caretakers for parents. Like It's just a lot of different factors um,
3: that make the decision to be back in schools not a good one. Um, But, yeah, here we are.
0: Yeah. And for the sake of context, we know this is a hotly debated thing, you know, should kids... Go to virtual school? Should they be in person? Like we understand all of the nuances and and, and all of the arguments. Um, but I, I just want to take a step back from this school year um, and go to last school year when we we first went virtual um, here here in Nashville. Um, I there there was a, a distinct push to get students back into the building, and it was purely based on money. And so I'm not going to dive too deep into this, but capitalism played a crucial role in why kids are back in school, <clears throat> right? And so when, when we're tracking Christian supremacy and, and values mixed with the pandemic response, I think the, the, the school system, the, the student experience is directly mirrored in how these things intersect and hurt people. And so when, when you, when you were saying like teachers have died, students have died, that was a, a that should be a wake up call. Right. Mm-hmm. However, it's just like, Oh, well, if, if a few have to go, right, then that's fine. Cause hurt immunity. Like, that's fine. And I'm like, uh, it, that's just a terrible perspective to have. Um, and, and, and speaking about defunding schools, um, the, the 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 threat was to defund schools who aim to keep kids safe by keeping them in the virtual learning environment, and just thinking about just the the struggles of virtual learning. Like we we know <laughs> we we went through it, we we've seen it up close. Greg, you were instructing during that time, and I was doing a distance learning lab with students and putting in eight to nine hours a day trying to help kids get on the computer and do school and stuff. And so uh, it, it begs the question, you know, when you're threatening funds, even and I think that's an ongoing debate now around like, that's the reason kids are in school is funding. Like, let's just be brutally honest. Um, when that threat of taking money away from the learning environment, um, I I immediately asked the question, well, what type of schools does that impact the most? And now we get into classism, elitism, private education, public education, getting into black and Brown students. Um, I I think about all of that and and what, what does it mean to take away resources from an area that was underdeveloped to begin? with? Um, so
1: is the push to open schools is definitely both racist and classist,
3: mm-hmm. and I say that simply because and there are other reasons. But I say I say that simply because um, we know COVID has disproportionately affected Black people. Even in the early, even Facts. in the early part of the pandemic, um, and like the idea of testing,
1: while while COVID testing is free, to my knowledge, is free most
3: everywhere. Um, say, for example, your your child. Is exposed to COVID at school, or maybe you're exposed to COVID at work.
1: Um, you know, most of the free places, you have to have an appointment. Yeah. And appointments are booked for like days and days at a time. So if I don't want to wait, I have to go somewhere to see a, a maybe a nurse practitioner, and I have to pay for that, regardless of if I'm just getting the test. I have to pay to see someone. And maybe I can't afford
3: to pay to see someone. Maybe I don't have health care. Yep. And this is this is exactly what I
1: mean. Um, and even I remember vividly, there was a school board member um, from my schools from our school system who made that exact point about, you know, the I many the children that we serve. They're black, they live in poverty. I, I teach in a low socioeconomic area. I work in a school um, where the children live in
3: poverty. I work in Orange Mound. So that is, that is their reality. And even when we were in virtual full-time last year, you know,
1: kids can't come to school If the light's not on at the house, so it's just so many different moving pieces to this puzzle that I don't think people consider. But also, on the flip side, pushing kids back into a building, kids and teachers back into a building. Um, At this point, COVID testing is a regular thing, it's going to have to occur throughout the school year for various reasons. If there's a case in the building, if I get exposed in my own personal time, I have to go get tested, which means I have to be off work, which also means I can't come back to work until I get my results back. So I got to right. self-quarantine. I got to not be in the building. So that's putting strains on building operations and logistics. And so it's just like kids end up not learning in the building. The right. building that you wanted yep. them back in, you wanted them back in the brick and brick and mortar space so desperately, but they're not learning
3: there either. If I got to be out, right, and the subs not picking up because they're not picking up the jobs,
0: right. Yep, it it is a whole fool because you want kids back in school to learn and be educated, and then as soon as they learn and educate you all of a sudden their opinion doesn't matter. So it's like, what, 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 what are we really doing here?
1: One more thing. There was a, um, I think you all, our audience should Google it and find it and read it. There was a, an article, a think piece written by a woman.
3: I believe the name of it was Teaching is a Woman. Hmm. Go read that. It's called Teaching is a
1: Woman. And I sent it to a colleague, a friend of mine, and she was like, "The it should the title should actually be, teaching is a black woman." And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> it should because it's like always cleaning up messes, always you
3: know, finding yourself trying mm. to make ends meet. That's what educators do. That's what we do all the time." But yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking about on on the. Flip side of what you said about having to get tested, um, the brick and mortar learning environment is not ideal, right? (laughs) Um, Trying to think about students as well, you know, with classrooms shutting down and students having to quarantine and get tested, um, they are missing instruction. And I had a student who missed the first two weeks of school, two weeks of school, not because he didn't want to go, but because he had quarantine, and so uh, I had another student who missed another two weeks, like ten days of school, right? But still had the homework packet and was like, "I don't know how to do this. I haven't been in school." And there was just there was there was nothing, and so I'm like, "Well, I guess I'm going to teach you how to do ratios and fractions." Um, thank God that you know we're we're here for and and supporting in that way, but just thinking like. You know there's the the resources are so scarce that people can't thrive in this time, and so when government when our mayor you know wants um, excuse me our, our governor wants students back in school, it's like you're setting everybody up for failure absolutely um, and i I just think so many times our Christian theologies they sound good, right, but they actually don't set people up for success. They they set them up to say, "Look how sinful you are. Turn your life over to God and God will fix it." You know, yeah. you got Christ over corona. It's like you're actually setting up people to yeah. fail when you say that. Um not that, you know, I don't believe that Christ is, you know, the great physician uh, and healer. I also know um that life happens and, and life occurs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um and so just thinking about Students and teachers not being not being set up well in this time. It really bugs me. I don't necessarily know what the answer is. I'm just sitting in the uncomfortable space um, with y'all and, and receiving these students after school to make up some semblance of like n- normalcy. Um, but also know that like if learning is not happening, that's like social and emotional learning, right? So it's not just they're not, you know, they're, they're not learning the basic curriculum. It's like, no, they're actually not developing as human beings and that should scare us. That should, that, that should concern us. And what's being imparted is actually trauma. And so (laughs) it's like schools were supposed to be, are supposed to be designed to be safe spaces. Right. In between school shootings and this for a kiddo, they're like, I don't know if school's the safest place for me to, to be as a, kid or as a teenager that's you know that's not the narrative anymore yeah
3: it's not it is quite unfortunate um especially in this time that we're in right now it's i can say unequivocally it's not
0: Hmm. yeah and i i think the reason why again we paused to have this conversation is because we started to to link some things together with how our, our christian practices influence how we treat people and how they're embedded into policy and law and into our ways of being. And so, um, yeah. Do you have anything else to, to add to this conversation? Cause I feel like I can just go and go and get off into rabbit trails at this point. I mean,
3: there's just, there, there, there needs to be a consideration. This
1: is what I was talking mm-hmm. about one of my coworkers at work recently. There needs to be a consideration for what is being asked of teachers at this time. Mm-hmm. You know, teachers already exist inside of a system that
3: is abusive. Anyway, like year round. Facts. So I think even now it's, it's more prevalent that. What is
1: best for not only kids, but for teachers as well, is at the top of mind for people who are making decisions. Yeah. And I realize it's like a hierarchy. Like how you go. Someone at the very top making all the decisions. And I feel like this would have been the perfect time for policymakers to listen to teachers. Right. This is the most important time to do that
0: um because because the educators teach people how to critically think right that's what trips me out <laughs> like literally train people to problem solve yes so why don't you ask the people who are experts at problem solving exactly. to help guide you through this problem
1: that's just that's too much like right it's too much like right to ask the very people that are being affected what they think
0: Jesus, Jesus, yes. It's like if you don't have a front row seat and you're you're calling shots from the nosebleeds, you don't know what's going on. You have no idea.
3: Nope. No. Nope.
0: So, oh I I might call that spreadsheet leadership, where it looks good on a spreadsheet, but you have no idea w- what what the context is behind those, and you're just making decisions based on. Revenue and what looks good and what makes sense in a system. Yeah, I think. Spreadsheet leadership, patent pending. I think <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think this is just a time for leaders to just be very sensitive to what they're doing, what they're asking of people. Um, it, it cannot just be business as usual. I remember no. when um, I found out that there was a student that died. It really hit me like a wave. I was like, "Oh my god, a child has died." Yes, a child has died, and just knowing that kids at my school have had it, like knowing that COVID is in my building where I work, like it's it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot, and I, I just think that there should be more, more caution, more care from
3: everyone that is in power to just be mindful. Like, just, just, be, just be mindful. Right. Don't ask a teacher to do something that you know is not safe. Don't ask them to participate in something that is not safe. Period. Yep. Yep. Again, again, Are you being a barrier
0: to somebody else's human flourishing? My God, my God. Well, we hope that you have gleaned something from this conversation. um, And we're following along with us uh, in the pandemic of Christian supremacy in schools. So as always, remember that decolonization doesn't happen in a day. Peace, y'all.
3: Peace.